Good morning. Good to see you here this morning at Grace Bible. Pastor Steve and Ambika are away in Hawaii, and we're praying for them that they have a great time. And um, be praying for Ken next week. He's preaching, and uh, we just will lift him up in prayer, and I know uh, he appreciates that. 1 Kings chapter 13. I didn't really, I was praying about what to speak about, and in light of everything that's going on, this is what God has laid on my heart. 1 Kings chapter 13. And the title of my message is How to Be a Man of God in a Pagan Hedonistic Culture. Verse 1. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your presence, Lord. And we pray that this would not be just something that comes in and out of our ears, not just merely informed, but we pray that we be transformed by your Holy Spirit and that we be conformed into the image of Christ. I ask and pray, God, you know I cannot do this in my own strength. I am weak but you are strong. Be with us. Lead and guide this church, God, step by step. Each and every person, man, woman, and child here, strengthen them in their inner man through your word. And all God's people said, Amen. The term man of God was a very common expression in the Old Testament. Moses was the first person to be called a man of God in Deuteronomy 33.1. It is used 15 times in 1 Kings chapter 13. The term man of God, Elohim in the Hebrew, is used in 1 Samuel 2.27 to describe a prophet who spoke on God's behalf about divine judgment. He was God's spokesman. He was God's messenger. He spoke in God's name. Therefore, he could boldly proclaim, Thus saith the Lord, as we read in verse 2. Prophets were identified by signs, miracles, and wonders, like Elijah calling down fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18. When their prophecies were fulfilled, it authenticated and confirmed that they were prophets of God. And anyone who was a prophet was a man of God. Samuel is called a man of God in 1 Samuel 9.6. Elijah is called a man of God in 1 Kings 17.18. David is called a man of God in Nehemiah 12.24 and 36. Shemaiah is called a man of God in 1 Kings 12.22. And Elisha 
is called a man of God in 2 Kings 4, 7. So you can see that this was a very common expression in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's a little different. In the New Testament, Timothy is the only person to be called a man of God in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 6.11. And it's in your, in your outline. 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 through 10, mentions false teachers and those who love money. But in verse 11, Paul makes a stark contrast. He says, but you, O man of God, Paul is telling Timothy to remember his spiritual identity. The false teachers are carnal, materialistic, and worldly. But you, Timothy, you are God's man. Paul is making an emotional and a personal appeal. Timothy, don't lose sight of your identity as a man of God. Don't lose sight of who you are. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, that word man of God, anthropos in the Greek, means human being, man or woman. So when I say man of God today, it can be man or woman. Human being may be perfect, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, 2 Timothy 3, it's a verbal autopsy of human depravity. A verbal autopsy of human depravity. 2 Timothy 3 is talking about godlessness in the last days. And how long have we been in the last days? Since Christ's first coming, since he was born in Bethlehem. That is a, it's a time period. It's an epic. It's so from the first coming to the second coming, from Bethlehem to the Mount of Olives, that's going to be the last days, that time frame. And 2 Timothy 3 is talking about evil men being lovers of money, materialism, lovers of pleasure, hedonism, and lovers of self, narcissism. Rather than lovers of God. Wow. Paul is telling Timothy how to be a man of God in difficult times. And I want to ask you, are we in difficult times today? Yes, you better believe it. These are Paul's final words. His death is imminent. And he's exhorting Timothy to be faithful in the ministry. To be faithful in his duties. To be faithful in his walk with Christ. And this morning I want to preach on the subject, how to be a man of God in a pagan, hedonistic culture. First, remember you are a man of God. Verses 1 through 5. We finished at verse 3. Now I'm picking up on verse 4. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar... At the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him, and his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. This is a great confrontation. Little is known about this prophet. We don't even know his name. He is simply called a man of God, Ish Elohim. And there is no question that he is a man of God. He spoke in God's name. 
It says right there in verse 1, And behold, a man of God came. So he is called a man of God. Two, he spoke in God's name. Thus saith the Lord. Three, he prophesied and it came true. The altar was torn two. And four, he did signs and miracles. He healed the king's hand. We're going to read that in a minute. But let me give you a little historical background. The kingdom was divided in two. The northern kingdom, usually called Israel, was ruled by Jeroboam. And the southern kingdom, usually called Judah, was ruled by Rehoboam. Jeroboam didn't want any of his people from the northern kingdom to go down to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom and worship and sacrifice. So Jeroboam wickedly set up two places of false worship. One in the north and one in the south. One in Dan and one in Bethel. And 1 Kings 12, 28 says, The king made two golden calves, and he said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Basically, Jeroboam said, This golden calf, this is your God. So the people living in the northern kingdom quit worshiping the living God and started worshiping a golden calf. And for this reason, God called the man of God to go to Bethel and preach judgment against the false worship and idolatry. So starting in verse 1, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. Jeroboam was standing by the altar, making a sacrifice when the man of God arrived, and he prophesied against this false worship. And by the way, this prophecy was fulfilled 300 years later when a godly king, exactly by the name of Josiah, would rise to power in Israel, burn the idol worshipers, and stop the worship of the golden calf. And that's in 2 Kings 23, 15, and 16. It came true. And then in verse 4, And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar was also torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. God's presence was so powerful with this prophet that when King Jeroboam tried to stop him from destroying the altar, the king's hand withered and paralyzed. God's judgment not only fell on the king's hand, it also fell on the altar, and it was broken. It split in two, and the ashes poured out, just as the man of God had prophesied. <laughs> wow. Verse 6. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Right here at the prayer of the man of God, God had mercy on Jeroboam and restored his hand just as new. There were three miracles. One, 
the hand was paralyzed. Two, the altar split in two and the ashes poured out. And three, the hand was restored. Wasn't that gracious of the Lord? Wasn't that merciful? King Jeroboam, he had changed the place of worship. He had made two false golden calf idols. He had made himself a priest. He was offering sacrifices. And he made Israel commit idolatry. He caused some serious, grievous sin. And yet, and this is what boggles my mind, and yet, God was merciful to him. God was merciful to him. What, what a sign. Verse 7. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. The king wants to reward this man of God with riches, food, and money. But verse 9 tells us that the man of God had been given a divine command. What did God tell the man of God? He told him three things. One, do not eat bread. Two, do not Drink water. And three, do not return home the same way. Three things. I'm going to ask you again, so get ready. The man of God is obedient in the first ten verses. He does exactly what he is told to do. He's the man of God. He's the prophet. He is faithful. The word of the Lord came to the man of God and said, This place is so wicked. This place is so sinful. This place is so pagan. That... There's three things I want you to do. Do not. Do not. And do not. Correct. God said, go to Bethel, walk in, preach against the altar, and walk out. And he did it. He was heroic and courageous. He's the man of God. That's what God did. And the man of God did it. Remember, you are a man of God. Remember, you are a man of God. Remember, you are a woman of God. Never forget it. You are who, you, who God has made you. And you know what? This is really important. You need to know who you are in Christ. It is crucial to know who you are in Christ. And you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. There is no middle ground. But I think a lot of Christians fall sometimes because we don't know who we are. And we stumble. Or we forget who we are. And something about remember. That word remember. It's, it's even in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God is always telling the people, remember. Remember. They had to build little um, altars with stones. He did that so they would remember. Remember. He's always telling them, remember. And I'm trying to say today, remember that you are a man of God. Remember that. It's important. 
So one, remember you are a man of God. Two, remember to obey the word of God. Verse 11. 11 through 13. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. For they, so they saddled the donkey for him and he mounted it. Now there was this backslidden, lukewarm prophet living in Bethel. When his sons came home and they told their father what the man of God did to the altar and how he healed the king's hand. This half-hearted, backslidden prophet had been out of fellowship with godly, Bible-believing Christians for a long time. He was lonely. So he told his son, saddle the donkey and I want to go talk with him. Verse 14. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may neither return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. Verse 17. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. The backslidden old prophet, he found the man of God and invited the man of God to come home with him and eat bread. And in verse 16, he starts telling him, I can't do that because God told me not to eat bread or drink water in this place. But in verse 18, it says, And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. That backslidden old line prophet replied, You know what? I am also a prophet. And an angel of the Lord came to me saying, bring him back home with you so he can eat bread and drink water in this place. Basically, that prophet said, it's okay. God changed his mind. Beware, brethren. Beware. When somebody comes to you and says, I have a word from God for you. You better make sure it's from the Lord and not someone with ulterior motives. Very important. I want to ask you something. Why would you listen to an angel of the Lord when you have a direct message from the Lord himself? Which is better, an angel of the Lord or directly from the Lord? It's like dialing direct and dialing indirect, you know? You get it direct. Once in a while, you will meet an antinomian. You say, what's an antinomian? An antinomian, anti meaning against, nomia meaning law, means against the law. Once in a while, you'll meet an antinomian who will tell you, you don't have to obey the word of God. You don't have to go to church, Hebrews 10, 25. You don't have to stop getting drunk, Ephesians 5, 18. You don't have to quit stealing, Ephesians 4, 28. You don't have to get married. Just live together, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. I'm amazed how many people today are 
moving in and just living together and not getting married. Another one. You don't have to marry a Christian. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. It says, do not be unequally yoked. What could be more clearer than that? You know what? If they aren't a believer, stop talking and get walking. That's it. Don't even waste your time. Keep walking. But listen, we have bought into these lies. And it's a serious mistake. It's a serious mistake. In verse 20, verse 18 through, 18 through 19. I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. Wow, that backslidden prophet lied to the man of God and the man of God believed him. And he went back with him and ate bread and drank water in that place. It was a costly mistake. It is a serious mistake, brothers and sisters, to believe somebody when they tell you you do not have to obey the word of God. Serious mistake. God told Adam, you can eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Satan told Eve, you shall not surely die. Satan is a liar. And this led to their spiritual death. And then in verse 20. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord. Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. Suddenly, the Spirit of God told the old prophet that judgment would come to this man of God. This is awful news. It is bad news. His body would not be buried in the tomb of his fathers. It was important to be buried in your family burial plot. It was the custom back then to be buried with family. And this is bad news, horrible news. And then I started wondering, how can God speak to a backslidden old line prophet? How can God speak to that man? And I realized God can speak through a donkey. God can use anybody to do his will, even Pharaoh or even a backslidden prophet. What happened to this man of God with no name? What happened to him? The man of God was commanded in verse nine. We read it. He was commanded to obey the word of God. It for so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. And then in verse 17, he says it again. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. Twice he says what God had commanded him to do. But instead of obeying the word of God, he obeyed the word of man. And listen to me, brothers and sisters. God's word does not contradict itself. God's word does not contradict itself. God is not going to tell you 
It's sin and then tell you it's okay. It doesn't contradict itself. But then I started thinking, why did God even call this prophet from the southern kingdom, Judah, to go up to the northern kingdom and preach against the altar when there was a prophet living right there? Right? He was right there. That backslidden old prophet had become disobedient. He dwelt among an idolatrous people, but he never spoke out against it. He knew idolatry was a sin. It's the second commandment. It says, you shall neither make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And the old prophet, he neglected to call it sin. The old prophet got comfortable. And brothers and sisters, we all get comfortable. The old prophet was disobedient to the word of God. And we are disobedient to the word of God. Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And that old prophet did nothing. And idolatry continued in Israel for another 300 years. The first mistake that the man of God made was in verse 14. Look at it. Verse 14 says, And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. (laughs) He was resting under an oak. Now, is there anything wrong with resting? No. Resting. Who does not like to rest? You come home from work after a long day. You take your shoes off. You put on your stretchy pants. And you're ready to rest. Right? You want to rest. Take off those hard shoes. Put your feet up. Oh, it's a good feeling. You want to rest. There's nothing wrong with resting, but we must be careful not to rest too long because that's often when we let our guard down. And that is when Satan will attack. God had told the man of God, walk in, preach against the altar and walk out a different way. But he decided to to go rest under the oak tree and he stayed a little too long. You say, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? Well, that backslidden old Christian was affected by sinful Bethel. The man of God went to this wicked place and he was affected. Lot lived in a wicked, sinful place called Sodom and he was affected, especially his wife. We, too, live in a sinful, adulterous place, idolatrous place. Not adulterous, idolatrous. There's alcoholism, there's cults, there's drugs, there's homosexuality, there's murder, there's national coming out day, there's pornography, there's prostitution, there's stealing, there's wickedness all around it. We live in it, we live around it, and we are affected. That's why we have to lock our doors at night. We are affected, and we live in a pagan hedonistic culture it pains me to say that i don't say that happily it grieves me to know that this is the the culture that we live in today and we need to pray for this country but what has happened to morality where did it go Reverend Joseph Jenkins was arrested as he preached to his congregation of 500 as he proclaimed, the Bible says it is a sin for a man to lie with a man. 
At this point, four federal undercover agents rose from their seats in the crowded church and handcuffed him. He was later charged before a U.S. magistrate under the federal hate crimes law. This was here in the United States of America, not in some communist country, in the backwoods, right here in the U.S. Uh, in June, July of 2013, Tony Miano, a retired deputy sheriff, former chaplain of Los Angeles County, was charged with using homophobic speech that could cause people anxiety, distress, alarm, or insult. He was arrested for calling homosexuality a sin. In April of 2014, U.S. citizen Peter La Barbera was arrested in Canada for biblical hate speech by Regina Police Service for passing out anti-gay and anti-abortion literature. In 2005, the Knights of Columbus in British Columbia were ordered to pay $2,000 to two lesbians for refusing to let them use their facility to get married. And then I heard one uh, recently of a, a lot higher than that. It was at $140,000 for, for not making them a cake. Something like that. And recently, Planned Parenthood was caught selling aborted baby parts and making money from partial birth abortions to supply intact body parts. That is barbaric. In June of 2015, just two months ago, the U.S. Supreme Court made same-sex marriage a nationwide right by a vote of five to four. The Supreme Court said no longer can this liberty be denied. Equal dignity in the eyes of the law. It's not God's law. It's not God's law. I went on the Internet. Where are the biggest five gay parades? The first biggest one is in Madrid, Spain. The second one is in Toronto, Canada. The third is right here in San Francisco. The fourth, which shocked me, is Tel Aviv, Israel. And then fifthly, San Palau, Brazil. That is shocking. And then the same year, in 2015, the SB Courage Award went to Caitlyn Jenner, a former U.S. Olympian, Bruce Jenner, for having the courage to come out as a transgender. It should be given to somebody who has the courage to do what's right. Not a political agenda. For 42 years, the United States has legalized abortion. There's been over 50 million abortions. And now, homosexuality is condoned. You get arrested if you preach against it. And it's happened in Canada already. We live in a hedonistic culture. You say, what is hedonism? It's the pursuit of pleasure and self-gratification. As I said earlier, materialism, hedonism, narcissism. We live in a pagan hedonistic culture. And depravity has no bottom. Reflect on that for a minute. Depravity has no bottom. The man of God was affected from the pagan hedonistic society in Bethel. The man of God loosened up. He dropped his guard and he forgot that he was a man of God. And he stopped to eat and drink with idolatrous people. He disobeyed and he compromised the word of God. 
Young Christian, old Christian, never forget, never forget that you are a man, that you are a woman of God. Remember that you, you, you belong to God and your body is the temple of God. Never forget. Isn't it interesting that the idol-making pagan king, Jeroboam, was not judged? Isn't it interesting that the backslidden old lying prophet was not judged? Isn't it interesting that the idol-worshiping people that bowed down to a golden calf They were not judged. Isn't it interesting that the miracle working, prophesying, preaching in the name of the Lord, prophet, simply for eating bread and drinking water was judged. Why? You say, why? Why was that? I'm going to tell you why. Because in Luke 12, 48, to whom much is given, much is required. Luke 12, 48. You say, that's not fair. That's harsh. The more you know the Bible, the more God requires holiness from you. The more you hear Bible teaching and preaching, the more God requires that you live it. Can you say amen? To whom much is given, much is required. First Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. God is patient. God is patient. But there comes a point where God will no longer tolerate sin and disobedience. And the main point is this. That God judges his own people more quickly than he does the unbeliever. It does no good to read the Bible without obeying it. Obey God's word, regardless of the cost. Regardless. The old prophet, he will be remembered as someone who lied and led others into sin. The man of God will be remembered as a disobedient prophet. His testimony was ruined. Satan cannot possess your your soul if you're a Christian. But he can ruin your testimony, he can ruin your ministry, and he can ruin your relationships. That's a high cost to to pay. And thirdly, King Jeroboam will be remembered for making two golden calves and leading Israel into idolatry. The question is, what will you be remembered for? We're all will be remembered for something. What will you be remembered for? So remember, one, that you are a man and a woman of God. Two, remember to obey the word of God. And three, remember there is a lion by the way. Verse 24. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road and the donkey beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. 
And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. And the lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid, his, and he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones besides his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. Both the lion and the donkey acted unnatural, which proves that this was supernatural. There was the man of God, killed but not eating. There was the donkey, but it didn't run. There was the lion, but it didn't eat the donkey or eat the man. This was unnatural because lions usually only kill when they're hungry or when they're protecting their young. What was this? This was divine judgment because of all of this was out of character. This was divine judgment. It was a divine rebuke. And even more than that, this was a stern warning. What was the warning? That God takes his word seriously. God takes his word seriously. This is a picture you should never forget. What an image. A dead prophet. A donkey on one side. A lion on the other. What a picture. You don't see that every day. And it's also a strong warning that being a man of God can be very dangerous when you disobey. So under this point, I have three subpoints. First one is the strategy of Satan. The strategy of Satan, 1 Peter 5, 8, says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. In the King James, it says, Be sober, be vigilant. In the New International Version, Be self-controlled, be alert. Why? Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to to devour. Satan is out to devour you. Satan is out to devour you and you and you. He wants to get you. Satan wants you to forget that you are a man or a woman of God. He wants you to, to disobey the word of God. He wants you to forget that there is a lion by the way waiting to trip you up. You say, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? Listen to me carefully. If this man of God, who was called by God, who healed and did miracles, who prophesied in the name of the Lord and came true, who preached against idolatry, who shunned the lore of riches, who spoke on God's behalf, and who the word of the Lord came to him, if this man of God can can fall, then everybody in this room is capable of falling. 
1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, that will never happen to me. Don't say that. If not by God's grace, there go I. David, a man after God's own heart, fell into sin with Bathsheba and committed murder. And 2 Samuel 12, 9 says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord? Despise. What does that word mean? It means to make of little account, to regard as nothing, to care little for. Obey the word of God. Don't despise it. Solomon, who was born with so much God-given talent and wisdom, who, who was immensely wealthy. He had all the advantages. He built the temple for, the, for God. He had all the advantages, but he possessed untamed passions for a gifted man with 700 wives, 300 concubines. And those women turned his heart away from God and into an idolater. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. Young people, listen to me, young people. Choose a spouse carefully and wisely because there are lifelong consequences and there is unfathomable pain if you disobey. You will pay for it for a long time. Listen to your parents. Samson was supernaturally endowed. He killed the lion with his bare hands and a thousand men with a jawbone. But he had a pagan woman named Delilah. And he fell for her tears. Satan knows where to attack. Whether you're married or whether you're, you're single, you are not immune. You say, oh, if I was only married. You are not immune. Aaron, the high priest, knew it was wrong to make the golden calf, yet he did it. God had just given the command 40 days earlier not to make idols. David, Solomon, Samson, Aaron, these men forgot who they were, and they forgot there was a line by the road. They forgot to obey the word of God, and this is Satan's strategy. Satan wants to devour your life. He wants to devour your ministry. And he wants to devour your influence if he can get you to fall. The man of God with no name started off strong and heroic, but he lost his way. He lost his ministry and he lost his life. And all it took, all it took was one wrong decision. What happened to the man of God can happen to any believer who walks away from the will of God and who walks away from the word of God. It isn't how you start, brothers and sisters. It's how you finish. And that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Oh, to God that I can say that. So one, we see the strategy of Satan. B, we see the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. If God did not spare the man of God who disobeyed his instructions, what makes you think that God will spare you from judgment? 
Has God spared this country? The American culture is under judgment because we have turned away from God. The world, society, and even city councils say, don't preach about sin and judgment. That will offend people. But given the reality of hell and God's pending judgment, that kind of feel-good preaching would not be merciful at all. The most merciful thing you can do for a person that's headed toward destruction is to give them a warning. That's why those men that I told you about earlier about, that I told you about earlier, they were arrested because they called sin, sin. You start dealing out of Romans 1, you're going to get in trouble. Romans 1.18, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And I might even add, because of idolatry. Because of idolatry. Samson was not spared. David was not spared. Ananias and Sapphira were not spared. Uzzah was not spared for touching the ark. God takes sin seriously. And people need to hear that if they are to embrace the Bible, the, the, the cross or the gospel and turn away from sin. You will never embrace the cross unless you understand that you are dead in sin, that you are fallen and you fall short and you need a savior. That's why Acts 16, 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid for our sin. He can save and he alone. So we see the Satan's strategy, we see the seriousness of sin. And thirdly, we see the snare of stubbornness. Verse 33 and 34. After this thing, Jeremiah did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Anyone who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth. My third and last point is the snare of stubbornness. Jeroboam, I bet you when he heard that the man of God had been killed by the lion, he probably rejoiced. Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. Not even a string of miracles in his hand being paralyzed and then healed could deter him from the path of idolatry. After everything he saw... He still sanctioned the high places, non-Levitical priests, and sacrifices. Jeroboam failed to believe because of his stubbornness, which is another form of pride. It's just pride. He suppressed the truth because of his stubbornness. All the miracles, all the preaching was intended to warn King Jeroboam and Israel about the danger of idolatry. But Jeroboam did not repent. And this sin was the root cause of Israel's fall. Sin starts as a thrill, but it ends with a kill. It starts as a fascination, but it ends with assassination. It's not what it seems. And although the man of God fail, God's word does not fail. Can you say amen? amen? Although the man of God failed in this case, God's word doesn't fail. So remember, you are a man or a woman of God. Remember to obey the word of God. 
And lastly, remember, there is a line by the way. In ending, a hunter caught a beautiful bird in a bush. Now this hunter was poor and his family was hungry. And when he caught the beautiful bird, the bird started to cry. And the bird spoke and said, please don't eat me, please don't eat me. The bird said, let me go and I'll give you three pieces of valuable advice. And the hunter said, let me hear them. First, never let go of a sure thing. Secondly, never reach for the unreachable. And thirdly, don't believe everything you hear. So will you let me go, please? And the hunter said, okay. He let the bird go. And the bird flew to a nearby tree right on the branch and started to laugh at the hunter. <laughs> and the hunter said, why are you laughing? The bird said, you could have sold my feathers to a hat shop and made a lot of money. And if you'd have cut me up inside, you would have found a big diamond. You could have been rich and famous. And the hunter got mad. He said, Ugh. and he went up the tree to start catch, to catch the bird. And he started climbing the tree. And just as he was ready to grab the bird, the bird easily plopped up to the next branch. And then he climbed a little higher. And as soon as he got ready to catch the bird again, the bird easily plopped up to the next branch. And as they started going higher, the branches got thinner. And just as he was ready to grab the bird, the branch broke. And boom, boom, boom. And bang, he fell and crashed on the ground. And he laid there in agony and pain. Suffered some broken ribs and cut his arms and his legs. And he laid there. Oh, and the talking bird flew down. And said, why didn't you listen to my instructions? I gave you three good pieces of advice. First of all, I told you, never let go of a sure thing. I was a sure meal. Secondly, I told you, never reach for the unreachable. I'm a bird. I could have flown away at any time. You're a fool to try and climb the tree and catch me. And thirdly, I told you, don't believe everything you hear. I don't have a diamond inside of my stomach. And the man just sat there laying on the ground in agony and pain and said, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I obey? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray, God, that we would give heed to your word. Your word is our strength, God. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. My prayer that you would speak to our hearts today to help us remember that we are men and women of God, that we need to obey your word, and that Satan is out there. There is a lion by the road. Help us all, Lord, to have the courage to obey and not to be afraid. Thank you, God, that you're raising up men and women to stand for you. And we can't do this in our own strength, God. We can only do it 
in your power and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask and pray, God, that you'd bless your word. 